Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast, where we interview the people behind the amazing products we use every day. I'm Laura Foti, and today I'm thrilled to be speaking with Supply One's food packaging and sustainability coach, Gary Cohen. Um, Gary and his wife, Liz, founded Valiant Paper and Packaging in Secaucus, New Jersey in 1983 and were recognized by Time and Newsweek for their closed-loop packaging program. You guys are really ahead of the curve. Today, he's a packaging professional and sustainability coach with years of experience in sustainable plastic packaging design and corrugated manufacturing. He works with customers to evaluate their current packaging design and helps them plan for future EPR legislation, which we'll talk a lot about today because a lot of folks you know, are here about it may not understand it and also assess their potential packaging fees which will likely be applied to their packaging he's also a member of the of the tennessee sierra clubs committee working to draft the epr legislation that will vastly improve the overall recycling infrastructure increase recycling rates while building the circular economy you guys are up to big things over there welcome to the podcast Sorry. thank you great to be here um bef before we dive in um i you know as i was reading your bio it reminded me of someone that i know uh specright founder and ceo matthew Wright. so i actually wanted to let him come in and, and hop on with you for a few minutes if that's okay that is great let's do it thanks laura for letting me crash your party here uh great to be with with uh, a found a similar background story and excited to chat amen it's it's amazing when i um read your uh first couple of pages of your book, how similar our backgrounds are. And I just, uh, I put this together. I just wanted to read this to yeah. you. Um, it's quite ironic that uh, Matthew Wright and I share an eerily similar path in the New York, New Jersey, uh, corrugated industry. We are uh, uh, kindred souls yeah. here. Uh, he describes in his book that on his first day with President Container in Moonaki, New Jersey, and by the way, most people don't know, how don't know where Moonaki is. They, yeah. they, they, or they say Moonachi, right. right? So uh, he went to his warehouse to pick up a sales card, which listed all the stock boxes available to sell. First of all, I doubt anyone other than Matthew and I know what a stock carton is, right? A number no, 22, I think, a 24, 28. Well, what's great is now people will believe me. Yeah. As you do it. Oh, stock cartons are real. Okay. Um, he is, uh, he also gave a perfect description of the extensive training program the corrugated sales folks received back there in the 90s in the corrugated business, getting thrown out to the wolves on the first day, just a couple hours, right? Of the extent of, is the extent of your training in the New York, New Jersey independent corrugated box industry. Get your card, hit the road. He went off to New York City to sell and not knowing a, a thing about packaging. And here he is today. I just can't believe it. It's amazing. 15 years earlier, in 1975, after graduating Babson College, I joined my father's company, Lee Container, on West 27th Street in New York City. I did the same thing. Took my price list of stock cartons, went up and down buildings all over New York City, selling stock corrugated boxes. And here we are, 30 years later, and somehow packaging sustainability and Corey, and Corey Connors has brought our paths to cross. So I just wanted to share that. No, it's ironic. It's great to meet you and, and uh, spend time with you. You mentioned something the other day when we talked about the carts in New York City uh, shuffling boxes around. I didn't know anybody ever remembered that or, or saw that, but it was a great time. It was a fun city at the time and, and a great start to the industry. And certainly the training methodology, I think it took all of two minutes, which was how fast it took him to throw the box of cards at me. So that's, that's what it was. And it was, uh, New York city was a whole different, uh, animal back then. And, and really what it, uh, what New York city and selling boxes in New York city develops an inner strength, an inner core, mm -hmm. 
Uh, it's almost like if you can't be like Rocky Balboa going against Apollo Creed, you're just not going to make it in, yeah. in the box business. And, uh, you know, you know, the, the challenges so that built your, your grit and your toughness. And, uh, and I appreciate it. And I, Pretty sure, you know, like I said, we're kindred spirits in that yeah. regard. So. It's great to meet you. I'm going to let Laura take Absolutely. back over. But Miss Stephen's Steakhouse on uh, Route 17. Route there. 17, Sizzling yep. Steaks. Yep. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Matthew. It, it's fun for me to hear you guys talk about that because I, I loved listening to Matthew's stories. I've learned so much about the industry and I'm always so grateful I fell into the industry. I, I feel like most packaging people do kind of stumble upon it. And everyone I've met is just genuine trying to do the right thing, pushing the industry forward and ultimately just wants to help companies and consumers get, get what they're looking for. Um, you know, at Specray, we talk a lot about packaging waste. Uh, there's, there's a lot out there, you know, on this podcast, we typically talk about innovation of what, you know, what, what are new trends and products and packaging. We often don't talk about what happens when the consumer's done with it. Where does that go? afterwards. How did you first become passionate about this topic? Well, um, you know, and if, forgive me, but my wife always tells me that I always need to go ahead and describe a situation with a song. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and just quickly give you the lyrics of this uh, song, Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. I don't know if I'm probably dating myself here, right? So I'm just going to cut into the last line here. It says, and you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself, and, and you may find yourself with a huge packaging solid waste program. I'm adding to the lyrics <laughs> here. And you may find yourself at a Specrite conference talking about fear of EPR. Mm -hmm. And you may say to yourself, how did I get here? Yeah. So the question is, how did I get here? So how did we get to this EPR? Where did it come from? Um, uh, so many of the speakers that we've heard here said, we need a story, right? We need to tell the story. And I think it's important to packaging folks uh, to know how to tell a story. So uh, what I'd like to share is quickly uh, my story in terms of how do I, how, what's my background and how do I know about EPR? Well, e EPR actually, to me, actually, uh, I discovered it 30 years ago. And uh, I was part of a uh, take, actually, I got into it because I was uh, part of a mobile uh, stretch film, take it back program. I had my business. You mentioned uh, Liz, Liz and I started our business in uh, actually it was 1980. And in uh, 1992, we actually were two doors down from President Container in Munaki, same street. We had our warehouse and uh, had about four trucks at that time selling mobile stretch film. So the, this is the product that we would sell to uh, food companies and processors and distribution companies that would wrap their pallets. Well, those folks actually had incoming pallets. And when you have incoming pallets that are wrapped in stretch film, you cut the stretch film off, you take it and you throw it in a dumpster. Well, as a, a distributor for mobile at that time, mobile came out and said, you know, we're, we're and they're an uh, environmentally responsible company. And they said, you know, we need to go ahead and try to reduce waste. So, and we need to try to get some of that stretch film back. So they challenged uh, their distributors and uh, we were proud. I mean, we're a small company. We we're proud to, to be representing mobile. So we said, you know what? Um, I think we're going to get into it. So I went around to customers uh, who are selling stretch film and those customers who I wasn't selling stretch film, which was quite a few. And I presented a program. I said, listen, um, we can, we'll send you a stretch film, but uh, we, we want to take your stretch film from the dumpster back. And they were like, you want to what? You want to, you want to, you want me to take, send you back my garbage stretch film? I said, yeah, we have a purpose for it. 
and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, send it down to Trex and we're going to make plastic lumber of it. They said, all right. And we, you know, we had some discussions and I would be asking, how much does it cost you to throw away that stretch fill? And they said, you know, usually about $500 to $1,000 a week. So I typically, a lot younger back then, 30 years, I would drive, uh, I would jump into dumpsters and try to figure out how much stretch film was in that dumpster. And I'd come back out after my quote unquote physical waste audit. And I'd say, all right, well, I, I, I think we can save you about $500 a week. So uh, we went and developed this whole program and um, uh, it, it ran for about a year. And we were actually able to build up about 40,000 pounds a month wow. of stretch room. We would bring it back on our trucks. Uh, they would, uh, we would give the, the customer a bin. Uh, and then a bag and they would take the stretch film and instead of putting it in a dumpster, they put it in a bag. We then would get 40,000 pounds. We'd put it on a truck, send it down to Trex. They would make lumber. We got, um, we're a small company and all of a sudden uh, we started getting recognized because we're helping the environment and uh, we were recognized by the EPA in New Jersey. And uh, we got a call from a, um, uh, Koenig, which was, I said, what's Koenig? So it stood for the Coalition of Northeastern Governors, and they had a solid waste reduction uh, committee. And they asked me to, if I would be part of the working committee. And, like, you know, source reduction, that whole concept was foreign to me. And I participated with the Coalition of Northeastern Governors, which is, uh, they actually, uh, very few people will actually even remember the name, but if you know about packaging, uh, toxic packaging um, legislation, that's where the genesis was. They mm. started it. Mm. And it was adopted by 19 states, and it's actually a worldwide uh, legislation today. All started with the Coalition of Northeastern Governors back in 1988. I caught on with them around 1991. And through this program, uh, they had a thing called the Koenig Challenge, where they said, we would like you to go ahead and, um, and, and they, uh, they actually offered this to about 250 customer, uh, companies throughout the country. They sent a letter out, all large companies. I'm not, I was the small guy. Um, and mostly, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, 30 companies responded out of 240. It just showed the apathy that was mm. going on. Mm. And we went ahead and we said, all right, we're going to go ahead and recycle uh, 600,000 pounds of stretch film in 1994. And we made the challenge. We completed it and we were honored by it. But um, in the process, being part of that committee, we would, their, their whole, pro, their whole uh, contention was, we want industry to do this voluntarily. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to reduce uh, packaging waste. We need to uh, you to use recycled material or recycled content. We make we, you need to make sure that your product is recyclable or refillable or reusable. So the, all of those con all of those things that we talk about today, yeah. you know, reduce, reuse. That was all thirty years ago. Wow. And and dealing with with Koenig, and that's where I learned. And I also learned about EPR. Can because, you can you break ahead, extended sorry. producer responsibility? I know we we tend to use acronyms a lot, but sure. um, what is the basic concept of extended producer responsibility? So EPR, extended producer responsibility, is is basically taking the responsibility uh, of uh, the recycling off of the taxpayer mm -hmm. and putting it onto the brand owner, putting it onto the uh, the owner of the packaging or the person who is putting the packaging out there. Um, and giving them that responsibility. I always like to say it's, um, it's, it's kind of like if you, if you think about the Mississippi River, 
All right. And let's say the producer is in St. Louis. All right. And the producer says, oh, OK, I've got to get my goods down to Memphis. All right. And that's the end of my responsibility. So because that's the consumer. Well, extended responsibility basically says, no, no, Mr. Producer, you're not and your responsibility doesn't end in Memphis. Mm -hmm. It ends in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. It ends at the end. You need to be taking the, the material out of the waste stream, recycling it. And that's when your responsibility ends. Mm -hmm. So what's happened, I think, over the years, and especially since these challenges and, and whatnot, there's been apathy. Mm -hmm. um, and also, one of the things that I think that we didn't realize back in 1990 was the volume of single-use packaging that mm -hmm. was coming through. And I, and mm -hmm. again, I'm telling the story because you know they asked us, they asked industry to voluntarily do it. Yeah, I think what what was missed again is the volume. And I always like to tell the story about Ethelin Lucy. Right, the Ethel and Lucy. Remember the the uh, the episode where Ethel and Lucy were working in the candy uh, line. I hate to say this. I don't know what you're talking. I'm okay. too young for this. Well, you're gonna. Have, <laughs> it's one of the funniest episodes. And again, I'm dating myself. You know, is this I Love Lucy? This is I Love. Oh, Lucy. Okay, I didn't even know the show. I'm like, so, I Love Lucy. It's in black and white. It's mm -hmm. probably it was probably done in the fifties. All right. So uh, Ethel and Lucy are are basically asked to work on a packaging line mm -hmm. where they're going to go ahead and there's pieces of chocolate come down and they have to wrap it and. Uh, so they're on the line and all of a sudden the chocolate's coming down nice and slow and they're taking the chalk and they're wrapping it and they're taking the chalk and wrapping and all of a sudden the line starts to speed up and the and, the, and Lucy's trying to go ahead and manage it all, right? And she's stuffing it in her shirt and she's doing this and you have to see it, all right? So you'll have to go ahead and YouTube the, the thing. But basically that's a story to basically say the amount of packaging that came through has totally overwhelmed. Oh, I mean, we, we've seen this every day as consumers. And part of why I wanted to have you on is while the brands might be responsible, we've created the behaviors that have made the brands make more products, which requires more packaging. And when we talk about, you know, I want a single bowl of mac and cheese and not the box, that's a different type of packaging. And this, this pref, uh, you know, proliferation of SKUs that Matthew talks about in the book that you wrote really has led to, to more waste. And, and when we look at the recycling infrastructure, it really hasn't been kept up. You know, you talked about, we were doing this years ago, right. but we've created so much more packaging than we can, um, you know, recycle. And then, you know, very famously, I've, I've tried to do my own homework on this. It's hard. There's no one place to look, but I didn't realize we were shipping a lot of our stuff to China to be recycled. And to me, this is one of like the secrets. I'm like, how do we not as a society know this? And then in 20, I think it was 2017, 2018, 2018 China all of a sudden said, we're not doing this anymore. National sword program. Yeah. That, that paper, that basically uh, exacerbated the problem because mm -hmm. we, we still had a, a solid waste problem. We still had plastics going only about 25%. I understand of the plastic waste actually went to China, mm -hmm. but that made the problems worse. Mm -hmm. But I think you, you, you know, you bring up a great point. We haven't been able to keep up with the amount of plastics going in. And so what responsibility does packaging have? You know, you go to Pack Expo and, uh, you know, you see these huge uh, amounts of machinery. Packaging is automation on steroids. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, in order, you know, cups and with the amount of volume that has come through over the years, uh, volume uh, manufacturers and, and brand owners have come to packaging and said, hey, I've got to fill, you know, I just got an order from large uh, 
Walmart. Yeah. And I've got to fill this over a certain period of time. What machinery do you have? And they would, packaging has the ability and the know-how and the, and the science to go ahead and say, we can do it. Mm-hmm. We can keep up. Mm-hmm. What's missing is that packaging, I think, and, and, you know, to extent has not gone to the wasteland. Mm. They went to the customer, mm-hmm. but if they had taken the same type of concept mm-hmm. to the wasteland and said, wait a second, we've got to go ahead and invest and that we've got to get the brand owner to invest in the in dealing with the waste and handling the waste as mm-hmm. fast as we help these customers fill their products. I don't think we'd be where we are today. You, know, you bring up a, an interesting topic, and, and Matthew's still in the room, so I'm going to make my pitch and start manifesting that. I'd love to go to a, a MRF, you know, a material uh, recovery center, because so much. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it looks like to process trash. And it's ironic. We were talking, uh, I started my career in, in technology consulting, working for Republic services, mm. which is one of the largest weight. And I'm like, wow, this is a full circle moment. Um, but you know, you obviously it gets to the end and, and, you know, we can only do so much, but there is this concept of reduce, reuse and recycle, which I remember growing up learning about, mm. you know, you're supposed to put this in this bin and that now it feels like there's 20 bins that we need to maintain. Um, but you talked about apathy and a lack of understanding. So what do people need to know to really take advantage of this? Well, uh, as someone who's been at it for 30 years and honoring the people that uh, I worked with 30 years ago who, you know, may not still be around or, you know, they put there was thousands of people who put this effort in. What And, and listening to Paul Nowak yesterday and, and the excitement that he has, EPR, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Having, uh, you know, been in this and understood the solid waste problem and watching it grow and manifest, you know, we can with EPR, this is a solution. EPR provides the ability that maybe someday in 5, 10, 15 years, you know, we don't have to put as much in the landfill, that we could be recycling 50 to 60% more. You know, people are afraid. They're saying, well, you know, first of all, and I and thank you for allowing me to get to this point, all right? And, and EPR is nothing to be afraid of. And let me explain why, all right? Uh, I am on, and I've had the good fortune of being asked to be to join in here in Tennessee, the Sierra Club. Uh, uh, mining, uh, actually they call it the Sierra Club Solid Waste and Mining Committee. And they are putting together, and we are putting together a EPR bill that we're actually going to be putting forth to the Tennessee legislature next week. So, you know, you you get to learn a little bit about the interests and, uh, and how EPR works. And we have, uh, I've had the benefit of uh, the folks in Colorado uh, who are uh, mentoring us, mm-hmm. okay, because it behooves all of us as a state. And this is one of the reasons why I think EPR is going to pass is because this is not just one state. This is not, hey, I'm going to pass it and then I'm just going to go and do my thing. Yeah. No, no. This is a team approach. So the more folks that we get on the team, mm-hmm. okay, the bigger and the better we learn. Yeah. So EPR is just basically in the EPR legislation, you have what they call a pro, a producer responsibility organization. And I was on the phone the other day with someone who was instrumental in getting Colorado passed. And she said, you know, it's it's important for folks to know that this is not government um, uh, managed. Mm-hmm. OK, this is industry managed. Yeah. Government legislates that we have to have this. OK, they've taken the, you know, the old adage, you know, mother says, you know, go clean up your room, go clean up your room 25 times. And the kid yeah. says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Finally, mother says, I'm going to go. Ahead. You have to go ahead and do it. Otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and, and spank you. Or, yep. Well, pardon me, but we've gotten spanked by going ahead and needing the legislation because we didn't do it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. So but that's not to say that they're going to come in and tell us what to do. 
we have this producer responsibility organization that is going to have industry. It's going to have uh, 12 to 13 different stakeholders of all different types. Those are the people who are going to set the recycling rates, set the items that are going to be uh, recycled, uh, ha handle the funding. Because this is a business. When you're running yeah. a pro, you're going to be basically running a business. So you, mm -hmm. you'd like to have business folks on there. Mm -hmm. But you're going to have a lot of input from different people. So that's why when they say, don't be afraid of it. It's basically, okay, we have to legislate it so we make sure it gets done. But um, once it's set up, the pro is, is industry driven. I, I want to talk a little bit about the fear um, for folks, because I think you and I are so familiar with it. You know, there's fear of brand owners that it's going to increase their costs, Good point. right? Because Good point. they're worried about how profitable is my product. If I have to pay to dispose of it, that changes my cost of goods. Now I got to find ways to either raise prices, you know, mm -hmm. squeeze my suppliers. That's a whole different, there's, there's, uh, you know, fear of consumers who don't know what this is. There's fear from packaging professionals. These are the people I talk to who say, I don't know what my data is. I don't own my packaging specifications. They live in spreadsheets. My supplier has some data. We don't have a single source of truth. We, we, we don't even know what we have today, but that's all changing. You know, we're, we've been at this conference. There's technology like SpecRate where we're digitizing those specs in a single source of truth. There's, um, companies like Lorax and Triac who are doing EPR reporting and life cycle assessments. And so we have the tool, you know, I really respect and I appreciate you telling the history because the vision was always there. And if you look, I like to take a step back and say, what's changed in society and technology, I truly believe has given us more awareness to these problems. It's also given us the tools to fix them. And so I think you're spot on Gary in that it's nothing to be afraid of. Right. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, you just got to lean into it. Um, I do have to start wrapping because we have, we actually have to wrap the conference, but, um, I just you know, want I want to ask one, you, yeah. Do you want to make point. one last point? One last point. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned to Matthew and perhaps yourself uh, that SpecRite is absolutely wonderfully positioned for this. And the whole idea of being able to use uh, the, the, the folks who are very talented in the, in the schools that have come out with knowledge, this is the perfect time to go ahead and make EPR cost neutral. We have two or so years to go ahead and figure out how do we make sure that the re with the reductions that we can somehow make this all cost neutral so there's no additional cost. That's the value. And that's what I see in terms of the, the packaging community really stepping up, leaning into it, not on their heels, leaning into it. They should be welcoming in this. They should be endorsing it. They should be supporting it and get out in front of it. I'll tell you one last story because I think you'll appreciate this. And I, I think I've told it before. When I first started working with Matthew and learning about packaging, I said, what's your vision for SpecRay? And he goes, that we live in a world without waste. And I said, listen, man, that's a little ambitious. You know, at the time we were probably 11 people. I said, why don't you sleep on it and come back to me the next day? And he goes, you're right. Our, our job is to help people make amazing things and, and help them do that in their organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like we've come full circle. You know, we've heard it at the conference, people reducing packaging, you know, re everything you just talked about. I'm so excited. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. With I appreciate the opportunity. How can, how can people follow you and what you're doing? I think the best way, you know, listen, uh, Prior to about four months ago, I was a LinkedIn no-show, uh, but I have I have learned how to, uh, you know, LinkedIn is such an invaluable uh, resource. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. I have also a blog of, that I've started, thanks to my daughter, she helped me. It's called GaryTalksTrash.org. And I've got uh, some articles on there and you'll get to know a little bit about me. And also you can sign up below uh, for some updates and... Um, 
That'll be the best. I love it. Gary, I would talk trash with you any day. Amen. Appreciate you being on here. Uh, if you liked the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Would love to hear from you. Who, who should we have on the show next? What do you want to learn more about? Uh, you can hit me up, Laura at specwrite.com, L-A-U-R-A at specwrite.com, or on LinkedIn at Laura Foti. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Laura. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specwrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specrite.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T dot com.